You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. Peter and I are joined by three guests, Andy Bravery, Andy Knott and Richard Holberton. Five of the best, you could say. Five. That number rings a bell from somewhere, from somewhere this week. Anyway, I have no idea where. Um, how have you guys done this week? All right? Had a good week? Everybody okay? Not bad. Pretty boring, wasn't it? Nothing much happened. Uh, I, did, I did something different this week. Did you? I, I did something different as well. I went on a little trip to the seaside, actually. Yeah. What did you I do, Andy? I didn't even need to go on a trip. <laughs> you lucky beggar. <laughs> yes, we, of course, are talking about the Man City game. 3-2 win from 2-0 down. Get in! We've finally beaten Man City. We've taken points against all of the so-called big six. And we're here to discuss that very subject here today. Um, so, yes, welcome to the two Andys, Richard, and to my co-host, Peter. Um, it was a pretty good day out at the, uh, at the seaside for me. I, I got the train down, had half day off, had a nice stroll on the seafront, first time in 14 months. Um, met up with some friends, had some beers, went to the game, and then we were 1-0 down after about a minute and three quarters. So it was all going well until then. Um, as it turned out, it did all turn out all right in the end. Shall we go through it step by step, guys? Um, starting with the experience itself, Andy, you and I were at the game. Unfortunately, um, the other three weren't. But um, tell us about your experience of the stadium in these unusual conditions. Um, well, let me start before the stadium. Um, I was in tier four. I believe you were in tier one in terms of that. Hmm. So I was quite keen to get into the north stand with you, but th those tickets just weren't available by the time of tier four. Um, so I went into the West Upper um, and um, I was wanting to join you beforehand but had work commitments. So I ended up walking through Stanford Park, um, which was amazing. It's really, really nice. Um, I've, I've never been on such a long walk to the Amex before. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed your photo journal on WhatsApp. That was, yeah, that was entertaining. Yeah, photo journal. Um, 
if you're privileged enough to be in that particular WhatsApp group. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know, had had some pies, um, read the program. Um, and, Hold on, you had and, some pies. No wonder I couldn't get one. <laughs> Go on, sorry, carry on. I did have two. <laughs> mind but, you, with a lot of this, we're making up for lost time. Um, hmm. And I mean, the atmosphere was just incredible. Um, it was one of the best um, nights atmosphere or games atmosphere that I've experienced at the, at the Amex. I mean, it wasn't at that Sheffield Wednesday playoff um, level. Um, and I didn't go to the Doncaster game because I am a DFLJCL. Um, <laughs> go on, you better explain that for anyone that doesn't Down know from London, Johnny come lately. Um, down from London, Johnny come lately, yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think I've been going there for nine years now, although hmm. I haven't been there for a year until Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but I can't really think of too too many um, games where the atmosphere has been better than than, than what it was. There were just below eight thousand of us in there, um, and we were making so much more noise than a stand game uh, with a full house. Um, and it was pretty much constant. I mean, Russell, you are in the north. Perhaps you can speak a little bit about that because the north mm. as is per usual were the ones that um uh, uh led driving the rest, up. rest rest of us but it, but it really mm. was rocking up in the the west upper as well i'd say yeah it has been a west upper regular normally yeah i mean there's been occasions where it's been great up there and it's usually reasonably all right but yeah, it did sound, it's a little bit hard to tell when you're in the north because you can't hear the other areas so well, but it did sound like there was more noise coming from elsewhere than on the previous occasions when I've been in that area with a full house. So, yes, I think it was rocking. Um, it felt like everybody was just so up for it. I think, obviously, it's a combination of things. I think you've got a hardcore of fans going. There was less of the kind of the more casual fan maybe going along. Maybe, dare I say, it could have. It may have been a younger possible demographic overall I wasn't really looking at that but that may have been the case do you think there's anything to do with the seating in terms of the fact there's more people spaced out on their own and being left in space they felt they needed to project themselves more um you know the, the reason I think Americans have quite sort of like loud styles of talking and I mean that the greatest respect but um I think it's the open expanse in America is it the same here are we talking about prairie style supportership in the in the annex um well, I, I think that you'd probably want to um, look to factors like the deprivation that we've experienced over the last 15 months as, as yeah. more primary than that uh, as an explanation. And obviously uh, the way in which the match turned out. I mean, uh, I don't want to go too deep into the match, but uh, certainly in retrospect, the way in which we played in the first half um seemed to reap its rewards in the second um but and i mean i really in terms of the atmosphere i really do want to highlight um the second half but it wasn't as if the first half um wasn't really really noisy and raucous um because mm. it was but it was just cranked up because again i'll go back to that shepherd wednesday um 
game where we um, got knocked out. Um, I mean, there it was really in the first half. Um, once we'd found out that knockout was playing, and I, th- I think Sidwell was due to be. Uh, um, we we thought that Sidwell wouldn't be playing as well, and he he was in the lineup there, um, and that just really generated the atmosphere, and it was it was just unbelievable. Um, but I think especially during the first half, because we were getting increasingly deflated um, as the game um, carried on, but um, it it was very very different um, uh, on Tuesday night in that front. Yeah, it really was. And I think just, as you said, the deprivation is definitely an element of it, you know, having had that frustration of not being able to get to games. Also, the frustration of the frustrations of the season itself as well, coming to this now in a relaxed, pretty much party style, um, knowing that there's nothing too much to ride on the game. We could relax and enjoy ourselves. I think that probably played into things a little bit as well. Maybe there's something tangibly with the acoustics as well. Maybe having the fans spread out in some way. Who knows? I've got an on expert on that. But um, but um, guys, I mean, you, Andy, I'll come to you, Andy B, and to Richard as well to gauge what you thought atmosphere-wise and how it came across in a moment. But Peter's got his hand up first. Peter, you you were drunk in a pub, so you probably wouldn't have experienced the atmosphere. But go, go, go ahead. Game, so I've watched it pretty much all on TV anyway. Oh, but right. what I was going to say was, despite the deprivation, Spurs fans yesterday, having paid 60 quid to watch their team lose to Villa, were booing both at half-time and full-time. So, I mean, even if you had been deprived, apparently, of football for 15 months or whatever, you still apparently can abuse your team as well, despite uh, everything. Yeah, yeah. I think they were quite unhappy with the uh, the ownership, weren't they, a little bit yeah, on that score. But also they did boo their team off at half-time and full-time as well. as the, It's not just the ownership thing. So I think they obviously weren't mm-hmm. happy with the team as well. So, But yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't guarantee everything. If we probably lost 5-0, it probably wouldn't have been the same atmosphere as well. But I do th- I do take your point that it probably uh, wouldn't have been the same if it was like another, just the end of the season, a normal season, and we were yeah just playing Man City. Andy B.? Yes, yeah, so for me, um, part of the reason I wasn't there was because I was out coaching kids um, in the early part yeah. of the evening. So I got back in the car. It's probably about half an hour into the game. Put on talk radio, talk sport, because that's what it was on. Could, I tolerated um, Danny Mills for, I think, 10 minutes. Oh, and I had to switch over to the BBC. You had a different game on, but I just can't, I can't stand the bloke. He's such a contrarian. He's such a kind of, I've got to say something controversial which makes him usually sound like a complete prat. Um, you know, he was he was moaning about our lack of goals and it's almost about the players. The commentator said about the players. So he said, well, you know, Bielsa does it. You just think, oh, just piss off, will you? So then we're... Um, but even on the radio, the crowd, I was really impressed by the crowd. I was really impressed by the crowd. So I got home, the noise of the crowd. So I got home, got it on the TV. Obviously, I knew that it was an early goal, so I wanted to see that. Then I wanted to see the sending off. And then I was kind of playing catch up through the through the second half, but it was just one of those games you, you get them occasionally, don't you? Where like the you know the crowd are up for it, and then the um the, all of a sudden the players give them something to to cheer, and so and so then you feed off that, and the players then feed off you, and then obviously if the goals start going in, then um you know it, it becomes um it just sort of it it just builds on it really. And it sounded great. I mean, it was one of those that I'm still buzzing now, and I wasn't even at the game, you know. And for the and for, for you know for Dan Byrne to get the I, I, that was I was laughing when that ball went in. I mean, it was such a Dan Byrne goal, really. It was, wasn't it? You know, I mean, the fact <laughs> that he scored it. What I mean by that is, is like 
he, you know, he, he kind of, he's got the ball, he hasn't got the ball. He's got it again, is he offside? No, he's, he's had a shot. Oh, no, he hasn't got his... Like, oh, he's got it with the wrong foot and he scored. You know, in the end... Gangly, it, spindling legs, yeah. never seemed to have that, balance. And, it was brilliant. You know, and the fact that Webster scores a home goal and Trossard's, Trossard's goal it looks fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I'm a touch envious of you guys being there. That's why we tend to go as many games as we can because we're going to miss games like the other night. But in the end, it was... um. It was joyous, absolutely yeah, joyous. And you were really loud. I didn't think it would be that loud because my sense was you were all over the ground, were you, the fans? Yeah. 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 I think they were in every area. They were in the East Upper as well, I think some of it was just a kind of, we haven't mm. been able to do this for 14 months, so let, let's get really loud. And, and and the players did us proud, didn't they? And then yeah. with Potter at the end of it, with his little um, tater, that was the only bit that probably was quite good to have on the TV because you would have missed that live. But... Um, yeah, all in all, what, what a night, what a night. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, seemed like everyone was singing. Ironically, my Chelsea supporting mate, who I've been watching with quite a lot this season, has been saying Dan Burns going to score for about four games now, and he, he like, feels that Dan Burns going to score in the one game I don't want. <laughs> goes and gets the goal. One, well, a, cl- say, a clock's um, right twice a year, isn't it? twice a day, isn't it? Just to say one other thing, and the, com- the commentary on talk radio, the one thing he did say that I heard and agreed with was that he said that like the the, the noise, the singing was coming from all four sides, and you mm. don't always get that at the Amex, which is fair enough, really. But yeah, it did. It sounded great. Yeah, you could hear it in the south stand where away fans often are. You could see a load of load of times people had their arms in the air clapping away there, so they were clearly joining in. Probably people in the east, maybe just trying moving about from where they normally go. Should we go? Uh, we'll go to Andy back to Andy K first, and then to Richard after that. So Andy K first, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of things on what Andy um, Bravery has just said, Andy B. Um, uh, yeah, you're quite right about the four sides. I mean, obviously, there were no away fans in there. So um, we had fans all around the stadium. Uh, and I, I think that really did did help. Although, you know, um, when there are away fans in there, they oft, you often feed off them. Um and uh, I can't resist uh, agreeing with you about Danny Mills, and I just want to put my two pennies worth in. <laughs> Go on. I can't stand the guy. He's so self-important. And um, I'm glad he's on Talk Sport because I, I never go near that place. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously, as you said, but it was just a fantastic night all around. I, you know, I think you couldn't really have scripted it any better. And I was thinking, you know, the last time I was on here, you had your your, your mate Kevin from the Upfield Picture House. And I think if hmm. if this script had been put to a film director, they'd probably have chucked it out as too far fetched. You know, you've got you've got the, the the league champions in town for the final game of the season, where fans are allowed in the stadium for the first time in a year or third time in a year, technically, but not in those numbers. Um, you give them a guard of honour and then extend the courtesy even further by allowing them to go 2-0 up. Uh, and then in a marauding last half hour, score for 40 minutes, score three goals, the last of which is scored by, you know, Dan Byrne, who's almost a sort of cult hero, but hasn't scored since God was a boy, um, and then do a lap of honour in front of adoring fans and all go home. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, sunny day as well. Yeah, sunny day as well. Um, Which I, is the biggest surprise at the moment, given the weather generally. Yeah, in, that was the biggest yeah, surprise. Yeah. I mean, us beating City was less of a surprise than a sunny day. Yeah, <laughs> I, tragic I, but true. 
as you know, half half of my household are Man U fans, and it's quite it's quite rare in this house for there to be a result that gets the approval of everybody in the house. <laughs> but, but but this was one of them. Um, and and to your earlier point, Russell, about the atmosphere. I mean, you, you, if you weren't watching it and you couldn't see the stands, you you would have thought there were far more than eight thousand people in there. But I mean, it, it was mm. it was it was tremendous. I mean, particularly as as um, particularly after Trossard's goal, I think maybe people started to realise, oh, you know, there is something here and urged the team on and it just built and built and built from there. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was great. And up to the point where <laughs> Potter in his post-match interview had to confess that he couldn't hear the questioning because the noise was that loud. So Yeah, you could see him sort of leaning in, struggling, full, couldn't he? It's full great. credit to, to the 8,000 of you for generating yeah. that much noise and atmosphere. I think of course, you know, it's, one of, it's one of those games that people will still be talking about in 20 years' time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I went down for a number of reasons to the game. Obviously, one being able to manage to get a ticket first and foremost. But I'm, I, I was hoping it would be a nice day out by the seaside sunrise. It happened to be, even though the forecast hadn't been good. But it was a chance to see a couple of players who we might not see at all. We, we hope Danny Welbeck will be back. There's other players in there who've, who've definitely stepped on since we were last able to watch games, such as Basuma um, and some and the other new signings and players that have come through the ranks, like Moda, Moda sorry, um, who, um, you know, it's a good chance to see them in the flesh. Also, knowing it was the final game of the season and the lap of honour, I thought, OK, well, that would be quite nice. Little do we know, of course, it was going to be quite a joyous and victorious lap of honour um, in the context of the game that had just taken place, which was a, a massive bonus. Um, and, of course, to, a chance to get down to Brighton and see friends I hadn't seen in the flesh. It had just been two-dimensional images on my um, on my uh, iPad screen for the last uh, year or so. Uh, it was quite nice to see, albeit a small number, um, namely two, and then one more in the stadium later. But nonetheless, it was great to see people again in the flesh, um, football-related, which is which is great. Yeah, um, and I, I honestly don't think that... I don't know what your expectations were going there, but it, it was Manchester City, right? And I think I hmm. think that the, the relief and the pleasure of just being able to go to a football game was probably going to be enough for most people. Nobody would have minded too much if we'd lost to Manchester City, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to so to win as well as all the other things that that, that go with going, I think it must have been fantastic. And I think as as it turns out, now league title winners and and I think the best best team in the world at the moment. So the idea that you can see your team play against those sides, we don't know how long we'll be in the in the prem. Hopefully, a long time to come. Um, but you want to be playing the best, and that's the one. If there was one game to pick for this season to watch, for me, it would probably be that. Just based on the fact you can see. Um, just the you know just to see the best see the best against um, against Brighton yeah uh, or sorry the best against Man City I should say yeah <laughs> I'll I'll just say on that very quickly um, we've now beaten the champions twice this season yes 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 I like the way you're looking you're thinking about that that's good Liverpool when they still were Man City already crowned when we beat them yeah perfect Peter. Um, and also on top of that, for while, for all the obviously they will talk about the ten men for most of the game and that sort of thing. It's worth noting that barring De Bruyne, I think probably City were pretty much full strength for them. I mean, Maguire's not played a lot mm. this season, so they were close mm. enough to full strength. Whereas we had Beltman out, we had Lalana not starting, obviously because he probably wasn't fully fit. We had Trossard not starting, as obviously he's been rested, and I would say he's in the first choice. Mope out, um, Welbeck was off after twenty odd minutes. Minute, you know, quite early in the March game. March and Lamptey, of course, thinking more longer term. So we had a lot of yeah. players out. It wasn't anywhere near full strength for us. And they had 
pretty much barring De Bruyne, who was on the bench, and you could argue Aguero, mm. but I don't think Aguero's been their first choice this season anyway. Pretty much mm. their full-strength side. So, I mean, yes, that obviously 10 men for 80 minutes does impact the game, but they had us. I mean, on paper, they should have won that game anyway, probably, and they'll still think 2-0, they should have cruised it, really. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in the one sense, being down to 10 men, um, City, they're probably a team that can cope with that better than most because of the, because of the quality with how they can hang on to the ball. I guess it did suit a team like Brighton, teams like Brighton, uh, to, with, the, with the style we play, um, to actually maybe make that count against another side more than more than average. But then again, it was still City we were having to try and do that against. So we don't, yes, we, we don't always do that though, do we? Against ten. I'm not sure. Mm. I'd like to know the stats because I, I often feel when we're against 10, we struggle more than when we're against 11. Yeah. I mean, the fact, and the fact that they were two up into the second half, you know, and Foden's got, I mean, to that point, I, I mean, when he scored that goal, I just thought, thank God he's English. Because, I mean, mm. he, is, he is a great, he is a great talent. You know, mm. why, I mean, why it's no slouch on the pitch. Slouch, you know, he's, why is a fast player on the pitch. He couldn't get near him. And you could see on the TV, you could see he's running with the ball. He keeps looking up, getting a picture of what's ahead of him. And in the end, just thinks, I've got to have to put this in the goal myself. And then does. Just like that. Just like a second like that. It's just in his 20. It's not even 21 yet. This seemed to be like, as part of their bad losing, being quite, you know, not particularly, um, you know, kind of, Decent bit afterwards, we're accusing us of kicking Foden and kicking Gundawan. It's like, yeah, we let Foden run like that. I mean, I White should really have like kind of blocked him running initially. I would say when he first had the chance, when he first turned, he should have tripped him. I would say and got the yellow card and accepted it, probably because I mean we don't tend to do that very much. But he should have just you know taken one for the team. It's it's an experience thing. I would I'm not blaming him, but. You know, in hindsight, it's an easy thing to do as well. Yeah, I suspect he thought that from that from that far out, <laughs> there wasn't all that much danger. But oh, as, as Andy yeah. said, you know, Foden's an exceptional player. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to slightly differ with the other Andy. I thought that Ben White did actually catch up with Foden quite a few times. Um, but Foden strengthened him off, um, kept him off. So um, okay. he did catch up with yeah. him, but then okay. had I mean, to... Yeah. Slowed down, and that's that's the kind of quality of Foden. Um, that in a sense, you you look at his stature, you don't quite credit. Um, but I mean, I, I, I agree with you, I think he's, he's a staggeringly exciting talent. Um, yeah. I, would, I, I, I think on, on the pod that you did previously, um, the pre match pod, um, mm. um, what's her name was talking about once in a generation talent. Um, yeah, Natalie, the City yeah, fan. Yeah, well mm. be. yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, it, I mean, she's um, yeah. She was saying he seems to be getting better game by game. Almost, you can tangibly see him getting just better and better. He, he seems to be a bit like. Well, he's almost got a lot of similarities with Jack Wilshire in his kind of physicality on the pitch. That kind of slightly springy style, and you're not quite sure where he's going with the ball. And obviously, plays a similar role on the pitch. Um, with the two main exceptions, it feels like it's it's Jack Wilshire who swallowed a box of fireworks, um, but also the fact that he doesn't have glass legs, uh, apparently, which is quite a, a bonus as well. Um, with Wilshire's career, of course, being uh, plagued by injuries. Um, but, you know, it's it's. I, I think he's such a talent. And I was, I was just delighted he was playing in general because I wanted to see him in the flesh. And so that's part of why I wanted to go down. Also for the possibility we might pull off a result. Um, but the fact that he was on the pitch, yet we still pulled off the result, I think is uh, something to be proud of because he could turn a game on his own. And 
or finish a game off as it seemed at the time he had done because of course that was the um the second goal in the uh, just after half time wasn't it a couple of minutes after the half um, which was a bit of a pattern in this game. At least we're not conceding goals at the ends of halves now. This at the beginnings of halves. So it's, it's a new little trait for us, which is quite nice to see. Um, should we go through it goal by goal, guys? Um, so the first one, just under two minutes in, um, attacking the north ends, City score. It's it's Mahrez, isn't it, with the, with the build-up play, some good movements. We were struggling, I think, to contain them a bit. Um, it did seem to... It felt a bit like it came out of the blue. Um but anyway, the ball was across and, and Gundogan heading the ball in just didn't seem like the biggest threat was going to come from that. But nonetheless, it was. Um, what do you make of that goal? Um, in terms of the atmosphere, by the way, it was very surreal because, of course, no fans in there at all. It almost felt like they hadn't really scored. <laughs> it was really odd. Mm. Um, but, was, but the goal itself... It was Pascal Gross's... Um, man in the box. Pascal Gross yeah. lost him. I mean, you yeah. could blame him, but I think sometimes I, I, I prefer to give the credit to the, you know, to the the the, the forward play. And I, he did a, he, he just basically lost him. Come around the back, and put it in the goal. It was a bit of a, it didn't, it didn't feel. I mean, I didn't get to see that bit until I watched it on re- record, and it seemed to me like we hadn't really got going at that point. You know, it's only just started the game, and it just started. But I mean, a great start for them. Yeah. Peter? Um, I was going to say, based on, obviously, next season, presumably, Lamptey will be in that position again, based on that. You look at that and you think, maybe that's the one weakness that we have when Lamptey's in the team, that, you know, kind of obviously height at the far post, like the, although the Palace one wasn't a penalty, that will be a slight weakness, that if Lamptey's coming around the back post, obviously, he's, he's not got the height to deal with someone like Gundogan or whatever longer, to, you know, in, realistically, so it's going to be a struggle. So that may be kind of something they'll have to look at next season, maybe put someone... You know, make sure someone's further across. But I mean, I agree with Andy. I think it was just a really good goal. I mean, Mares is such a good player, and sometimes you have to accept that. You know, yes, we could have stopped the cross, and yes, we could have stopped the header. But I mean, City are just a really good team when they work, and it was you know you you can't stop every cross, and you can't stop every player coming in, and you know it's sometimes you've got to go. You've got to say, fair enough, good goal. Well, particularly from Mares. I mean, it's one thing knowing what he's going to do. I mean, he'll shift the ball slightly to his left and if he's in a crossing position, he'll cross mm. it. If he's in a shooting position, he'll shoot it. And you know, a lot of defenders will know that that's what he's going to do. But he does it, he, he, after shifting the ball to his left, he gets the cross or shot away so quickly. It's almost in one motion. It must be very, very hard to defend. So, yeah, I'm with you. Give credit to the attacker. Mm. Yeah, it's got an uncanny habit of being of getting dangerous shots off when he when he is given the room, isn't he? Um yeah, absolutely agree. And I mean, that was in just the second minute. We were barely sort of um, just digesting the lineup still, which, by the way, was Sanchez in goal, White, Webster, Byrne at the back, uh, Modder and Jahanbach wider of Grush, Basuma and Alzate, McAllister um, going further forward up with Welbeck, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know the lineups. And um, yeah, anyway, so um, two minutes in was that. And we're thinking, great, this is going to be an annihilation. Um, and then there's a bit of a twist, isn't there? Because Cancelo gets, who's had a great season. Um, he got caught out a bit. Um, there's been some contention about whether it should have been a red. Tenth uh, minute of the game, Welbeck, I think, took the initiative to, to burst forward and try and nick an edge on him. It, it seemed like the opportunity was almost to get ahead of the defender as much as to get to the ball. Um, he did so. There's a bit of a tussle. Over they go. And the red card is awarded. Um, I didn't see, being in the stadium, of course, things were very blurry about what they're doing with the decision-making. But... Um, 
I'm assuming Var looked at it and upheld the decision. It, it, I don't think it was a clear and obvious error for me. Um, having seen it back on TV at the time, I had no idea. Um, but it was given. Um, what did you make of that, guys? Andy Kay first. Yeah, I, 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 you haven't mentioned it, and it needs mentioning. The, the pass from McAllister was outrageous. Oh, um, yeah, yes. Absolutely brilliant pass. Um, mm. And um, one thing um, that has been stated on here that I just don't get is that um, we haven't got any pace apart from Lamptey. Well, I disagree with that. I think we've got some really quick players, one of which is Welbeck, and he outpaced... Yeah, um, he's fast, Angela. isn't he? Um, hmm. uh, and that, that's precisely what you said is precisely what happened. He just managed to get in front of him. Um, uh, my view... Uh, of the red card is, um, you know, if it was given against us, you might be moaning about it a little bit. I mean, you you could see why it was given, but you could also see that perhaps it it shouldn't be given. But I certainly agree with you that that's not the kind of decision that VAR should be overturning. Yeah, Peter. I, that. I think it's that it is that comes down to this thing we've discussed a lot on here about clear and obvious error. And once you have that rule in place, I don't think it was a. There's a lot of moaning about the fact that Welbeck caught Cancelo. I don't think there's any proof in that. He then Cancelo to me then hooked his arm around Welbeck in a way that, you know, <clears throat> yes, probably happens all the time, but he did do that. And like, it wasn't under control of Welbeck, but it was. He was bouncing ahead of him, but he hadn't quite controlled it. But he would have done. And I, I think that I can see why he sent him off. I could see if he'd not given, if he'd given a yellow card, I, get, I agree, I don't think VAR would ever turn it. But I think it, mm. you know, it, it doesn't deserve that angry you know, kind of response that a lot of City fans have given it. And I agree about McAllister as well. I thought he had a great game because he, he set up the third goal for Burn. He played the ball out wide for the second goal as well. And the ball here was ridiculous. I thought he looked, he looked really good. And I really hope next season's his breakthrough season. Break, yeah, yeah, just just one really small thing to add to that. Don't forget that um, Guardiola's teams are masters at playing the innocents when they foul, yeah. and they're brilliant at fouling and playing the innocent. Tactical fouling, yeah, in particular. My, Except my only when the court's getting that, injured doing it, but apart from that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my only observation on that decision would be if it if it hadn't been well once it's given as a foul it has to be a red card because of hmm. where he was and the fact that he's through yeah. one goal and he would have had a goal scoring opportunity otherwise yeah um if it hadn't been given as a foul i don't think var would have overruled it either because i think i think the bar for clear and obvious is supposed to be high enough that you go with whatever the on-field decision is in that kind of situation i I agree with Andy Kay. if that had been the other way around and that had been a brighton defender and a city attacker i think i would have been slightly aggrieved because it's not even the front on angle is you look at that and it's not clear who initiated the contact really so I'm not sure it was a foul but hey we'll take it we are massively massively in credit this season on decisions aren't we I know even against this opponent there was there was a foul in the build-up to their goal in the first match much as they were a great side and probably deserved to win on balance of play but the actual decision or non-decision for the goal there um uh, being disallowed so you know if, even if it is the case I'm and we were sorry, a penalty in this game as well in the first half uh, second half when the handball went across Grosh which I thought was a pretty clear yeah penalty. well I haven't been able to see everything back yet because I've had a pretty busy week with work that's been quite annoying so I haven't actually seen the incident back 
Um, yeah, tell us about that. When, when was that in the game? Actually, I can't remember that. It was who defended. I think it was two one at the time. And uh, it was um, it was Garcia. Who might I just add is shit. <laughs> losing him at the end of the season anyway. I thought his shot at the end when they had a chance was great. <laughs> it's like Bissoumeres that was in terms of shooting quality. Um, but yeah, he moved, to me, he moved his arm across um, to try and stop Grosh um, getting the ball and hit the and pushed the ball away. And you know, it wasn't his arm wasn't in a natural position to, to you know for, for moving across. He kind of moved it across Grosh's body, pushed the ball away, and it should have been a penalty. And I was surprised it wasn't picked up. Mm-hmm. So even then, we still still like been ripped that. off a little bit. Everything go our way, yeah. It's... Yeah, yeah. Well, we we mentioned the, the first half very early goal conceded, despite being ten men. It was going to take a while to try and manoeuvre our way past City, and things didn't go well with the early second half. Three minutes in, Foden scores that goal that we've already discussed. Um, it was looking a bit bleak for our chances. Could you think trying to come back from two goals against City, albeit with ten, is going to be a challenge? They they're a side that can hold on. Um, in such circumstances. But, as we know, the game started to turn, didn't it? And not long afterwards, um, Trossard's goal, in fact, it's earlier afterwards than I remembered it at the time, um, 50 minutes according to the BBC website. Um, and he did it in stages, didn't he? He kept us all relaxed the whole way through there as he shuffled across. Um, but ultimately, he left what the, the player that's just been voted Football Writers Player of the Season uh, Ruben Diaz on his ass, um, along with others, and it was a delight, wasn't it? Um, good, good ball out as well. I think it was, it was a good build-up play, but ultimately, in the end, it, it felt like a very much an individual goal as Trossard shuffled and shot. I think on kind of like the third third movement of, of his little dance, wasn't it, where he, he buried it um, deeply yeah, yeah. into the net. R- Russell, you can't call that good build-up play unless you want to credit Rodri with contributing towards that. Because it was excellent. Yeah, and just kept going. Yeah, as I said, I've just realised I'm thinking of the next of the uh, the burn goal at the end. I was getting ahead of myself. Yes, Rodri did an excellent job there, and I'm looking for his assist on the goal, but it's not it's not showing up for some reason. But um, (laughs) yeah, um, opportunism, yes, was the key in this one. And talking about the atmosphere, going back to that again. There really was a tangible sense as soon as that goal went in, was successfully put away, and much so against contrary to our anxieties that were building as as he shaped to shoot. Um, there really was a tangible sense that this was the beginning of a comeback, not just something where, you know, another disappointing goal at the other end is coming five minutes later. And, and so it proved over time. Um, did you guys? Well, Andy first, Andy K first, then to Andy B. Andy K. Did you get the sense of that as, as a fellow member of the audience in live at the stadium? Because it, it had us, it certainly had a sense of they're here for the taking now. Yeah, I mean, having been through the season that we've been through, there's this phrase in football, and you've got your list of phrases, haven't you, that you might want to do a mm. podcast at, at some point. Um, but the one that I don't really get is the two nils, the most dangerous scoreline because as it's been said our one nil lead um is the most dangerous scorer um, um even then that'd yeah, be the I, most dangerous I, I lead really agree, i really agree with you there russell there was a palpable kind of change in expectation and um lift but again it wasn't as though the crowd had gone quiet when that second goal went in it was with no. with two nil down 
um, with Brighton and Hove Albion and we're staying up. I missed something out of that. But um, yeah, that, that was ringing out at that particular point. And I, I suppose one thing that I do want to say is great celebration from Trossard and all three goals were brilliant celebrations, I thought. Oh, well, I, I completely disagree with you there because I strategically placed myself in the, in the usual gravitating for goal celebration position near the front of the North Stand and they bloody went off the other side. Bastards. Anyway, back, well, Webster briefly did before he went sailing off down the west direction. Yeah, no, yeah, they were good. They were good goal celebrations. Um, so, yeah, over to you, Andy. Andy B. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Wasn't it nice, really, that those players could actually celebrate their goals in yeah. front, with the fans? You know, and I and I think that's where, you know, for a moment, Potter got carried away, and Potter was a fan and not a coach, and he was celebrating as well and just letting it all out. Really, all that frustration. So, I mean, all three of them, and particularly Webster. I mean, Webster scores doesn't he and then he runs the entire length of the of the pitch cheering with the fans you know it's just great it was just great to see but Dan Byrne couldn't do that because everybody jumped on top of him <laughs> you know yeah. it was, I mean it was like it, it had everything really it really had everything and I think that um f- from Trossard's point of view he, he had a good game and and he gets the goal it's something it was a bit like Alzati at first wasn't it it was like beats one as no beats two no beats three you know like is he ever gonna shoot oh he's just scored you know <laughs> Is it Diaz on the fling? Is, is it Diaz? Who's the centre half? Yeah, Ruben Diaz. Yeah, puts mm. him on the floor twice, I think. And yeah, then he struggles. Yeah, and then he struggles scores, to try and know. get back up. Yeah, he? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. a decent defender. There's no doubt about that. Mm. So yeah. you know, that, that's what I really thought about it was that actually, you know, they got to actually celebrate with the fans. That must have been really nice. Really nice. Yeah, they must have all stuck into that change room afterwards. Absolutely buzzing. Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, the, the whole the whole experience was great. And obviously being the last game, home game of the season to, to sort of be seen off by the fans as well, which is great. I mean, that, that second goal, Webster's goal, obviously comes in with his header. Um, between those two goals, there was an interesting stat. I've actually nicked this from Josh. He, he mentioned it on his podcast. I unashamedly admit that. Um, but he's quoted a stat saying that apparently we had 82.5% possession between the first and second goals, our, our first and second goals, that is, um, 50th to the 72nd minute, which is a staggering amount. Also, of course, the, the overall stats, um, 63% possession to us, 37 to City, which is the lowest amount of possession any Pep Guardiola coach side at senior level has ever had, um, which is um, incredible. I mean, I know that they've got 10 men, but they've had 10 men before. And um, they've got nowhere near such a low figure. So that is something to be proud of. Um, yeah, Andy, Andy Kay, back to you, sir. You, you're on... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, Classic, I, I, you've got his mute button. Time to unmute, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to come back to a point I made right at the beginning, um, I, I, I was a little bit frustrated with the way in which we were playing in the first half because uh, um, we didn't seem to begin forward um, quickly enough um, uh, uh, and and being bolder. Um, But I think that's when um, that strategy began to pay off during that period. I mean, that's that's a quite amazing stat between the 50th and the 72nd minute. And Mm. that's what it felt like because we just managed to, disrupt them completely they're, they're such a well organised team I mean uh, Guardiola's coaching is all, largely about um, management of space um, and mm. I've never really seen them of course I've had 10 men and of course you need to take that into account but we we really did 
um, um, play havoc with their organisation. Yeah, we did, and and I mean, it was the key was midfield. We we felt it felt like we were overrunning them in midfield. It felt as if Modder had a lot of space on the left side. He seemed to be the spare man quite often as well. Um, I'm not quite sure we exploited that to the full. In fact, at um, certain stages, it may have been a perspective thing from when I was sitting actually um, as well, standing. Sorry, but um, you know, we we having the man advantage is one thing. For Albion, that's a challenge, but also who you're playing is it's a massive challenge, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at City's stats this season, they conceded, I think it was before the game on Tuesday, 29 goals in 36 games. And when you consider, so 10% against us, yeah, and one of those. <laughs> One of those goals, one of those games before Diaz Simon was against Leicester, and I think it was five they conceded. So since then, they must be on a really, really low, you know, goals per game conceded, but they must be really low. As to be fair, since Sanchez came in, we are, I think, as well. I mean, barring a couple of threes here and now, we've, we've conceded very few goals in, in that time, yeah. which is why Sanchez, despite only playing just over half a season, is in the top list of um, clean sheets for any keeper. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what the stats are as to how often, if at all, City have conceded three goals this season in in Premier League action. Um, I have no idea offhand, but be thirty two in thirty seven, and two, one of those the three and one's a five. Yeah, one of many probably, in... probably zero, isn't it? In terms of no, many no, times. Um, they they conceded three against Newcastle in the previous game. And Peter is right that five against Leicester early in the season. They basically played their reserve team against Newcastle, didn't they? Whereas against us, they played their, they mm. played Nathan Ake and and Scott Carson in goal and that sort of thing. But so I mean, it, yeah. So other than those, they barely conceded a goal all season in those three games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Webster goal. Any anything to who wants to describe the Webster goal? We haven't talked about it specifically. Uh, the all important equaliser that really set us on the way. Um, I mean, it was a header goal. Well, yeah. Any, anybody got any takes on that? I only saw it live at the time. I still haven't had a chance to watch it back yet. So brilliant I'm cross, probably brush as I so often is the way. It was a fantastic mm. cross. I mean, a brilliant header, but the cross made it for me. He, he just say, like, I mean, he's so good at that. You, know, you give him any space, and you and City backed off a bit and gave him quite a lot of room, and he just put a perfect cross in. And yeah, it was a brilliant header from Webster. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, sorry, uh, oh, just just very very quickly. I I also agree with what Peter said earlier about. McAllister's ball that he played for um, that goal, plus also the third one as well. I'll shut up now. <laughs> All I was going to say was when you watched it on, on TV, Webster's actually coming into the box quite late, really. And, um, and, I, and I think it just shows a lot of desire. He's going to get on the end of it and he's going to, he's going to score. Hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it was and great. He, and then he goes off on one, doesn't he? Yeah, he went. He went bounding along. He sort of like partially went towards his, the north and then curved think, off. Yeah, I think it was his first home goal. It was his first home goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Well, or in the league, definitely. Anyway, uh, Peter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want like, actually to dwell too much on Grosh, but I, I all I to say is like for three million quid, have we ever made a better signing than Pascal Grosh? The number of goals and assists he scored and made, and then not only that, but this season he's adapted to playing a central mid, a further deep, deeper role quite regularly. He's played right wing back. He's done exactly what's needed for the team, and he is like he works so hard. And the, according to Andy Dale, both him and Webster are in line for new deals in the summer, and I'll be so pleased if both of them sign because they yeah, both fantastic signings. Obviously, but Grosh is costs so much, you know, so much less than three million pounds. It's such a ridiculously low figure in the Premier League, and he has been superb. Yeah, he's I've, still, I've, um, he still has the best delivery, doesn't he? I think from dead balls mm-hmm. and crosses generally. You know, he, he you know, you, there's no one else in the team like it, really. 
Yeah, Richard, would you go along with that? Because, I mean, he's, at one point, it almost seemed as if he was on the way out, didn't it? And then he's had this revival with a second wind, which has been, I think, all the, all the better, really. Um, yeah, yeah I do agree with that. I mean, I, I've, I've, always, I've always been a fan of his since he joined. I mean, he's a very understated kind of player. But if you take him out of the team, I think you lose a lot that you didn't previously notice. And his, his, his game awareness and his spatial awareness are fantastic. <laughs> absolutely fantastic and he's got you know his his football brain is so finely wired uh, you know I, I love just what's sort all of, from an elevated position in the stand I you know I love to watch just him for five minutes or so because mm. otherwise you just don't see some of the stuff that he does his movement away from the ball and his creation of space for other players and his uh you know his delivery from dead balls or even you know yeah. in, in open play here uh, fantastic, and, yeah. So three, three million quid for that. that yeah, a, it's an absolute, it's an absolute snip, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, for that, you also get the bonus of, of serial killer good looks and you also get the Pascal pirouette. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he did that, actually, in the last game, did he? I, I don't remember seeing him do it against City, but um, the, uh, you know, it, he's done it, it, the West Ham game, I think it was, he did it. He throws it in, it's a party trick. It's uh, it's like the Paul Brooker step over from a few years ago that Peter will know all about. The other point I was going fact- to make a bit earlier about, the, about going back to the, the Trossard goal, and you made the point earlier, Russ, that I think the fact that that was scored pretty quickly after City's second goal was mm. quite important yeah. because it, it, it felt like a momentum shift, even watching it on the telly, and it kind of gave the team hope that, the game wasn't just going to peter out into a routine two nil loss or three nil loss to Manchester yeah. City, and I also wonder whether and Peter kind of alluded to this earlier. You know, some teams when they go down to ten men, just kind of batten down the hatches and play defensively and and try to you know go into damage limitation mode. I don't think that's in City's DNA, and it didn't look as if they tried to do that really. Um, maybe they would have done if they'd been two nil up for. 15 minutes or 20 minutes but they weren't uh, and maybe that maybe that helped but that period of play when we had 85% possession or something was fantastic to watch it was a really really good one way traffic against Man City very very impressive in I mean for Grosh I was going back to, briefly to Grosh I'm still don't understand how no one else has worked out his turn I don't really understand why teams have not watched him and worked that one out. Um, the other thing I was going to say was the, I don't know if everyone watched the match today, but there was the positional play of all of our players in the second half. And it was ridiculous. I mean, they were like basically four of them right gathered in the middle, um, Webster a bit deeper. And then the, the fullbacks basically, the, wing, the, the centre backs being uh, wing, wing backs basically. And then everyone else further forward. It was, and this is against Man City. And even with 10 men, yeah, I, I found it was, it was obviously we were risking quite a lot at 2 0. And, you know, we could have gone 3 1 down then and it would have been game over. But we, we threw men forward. And for that, I think we deserved the result. Absolutely. Andy. Andy yeah, Kane. I mean, um, to answer Peter's question, I have a theory on this, which I, I think I've actually um, indicated on here before. It's precisely because his delivery is so good that the defenders have to try and block the delivery. That's what, what they're doing and that's what mm. their first motion is, um, which allows him to free up the space. And a, a, again, to do the period, and again, um, uh, Rich's point about him, his brain being better than most. I mean, mm. I mean Peter's spot on. What, uh, what, what an amazing sign-in. What an amazing servant. And no, he was captain that night. 
um, and he deserved that. I mean, I, we'll see what happens, but, you know, Veltman looks like a snip and, and Lamptey looks like a snip as well in terms of fees. But, um, you know, what what really matters, I suppose, is, is what, what the wages were paying these players. Um, and, you know... I know a lot of people like to speculate about such things, but we're really not privy to those um, numbers. Hmm. I know well, obviously Grush was also our first ever signing in Premier League, wasn't he? It was like literally yeah. about a week after promotion we signed him, didn't we? Hmm, that's right. Um, well, um, the winner, of course, Dan Byrne, finally gets his goal. You know, it's been coming, hasn't it? He's been dangerous all the all season and he's finally got one over the line a, a, a fantastically bumbly kind of style um got it in the corner though when he it looked like he hit it wide even when I, I did see that back on the um on the tv and I, I sort of even then I thought he was going to miss it That's the way he was shaping up I think more than the trajectory of the ball itself but anyway who wants to talk that one through the glorious winner from two nil down it's two all we go on the counter don't we Andy Andy Kay. Yeah, I mean, um, just very briefly on this, um, two things to say. Firstly, Big Dan Byrne, match winner. Um, and secondly, yes. I, I agree. I can't remember who described the goal earlier. Um, oh, it was at the other Andy. Um, it w- was a Big Dan Byrne goal. Um, but the one thing that you didn't mention was that he actually hit the ball into the ground when, when the ball went into the net. So it kind of bounced up and they didn't get the trajectory, which is what, Actually, hmm. the great goal scorers do. So not yeah. only is Big Dan Byrne match winner, he's great goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah, players but... like Gert Muller, Michael Owen, <laughs> Dan Byrne. Hit the ball into the ground, boys. It's a winner. <laughs> I, th- I thought, I thought Andy, you were going to go on to suggest that he might be the, you know, the answer to our striker problems, if indeed we have striker problems, you know, the, the missing link. Well, do we do we need a striker? Are we going to go force nine from here? You know, it, that, that might be another option if we if we can get midfielders of the right quality. Could be a cheaper way. <laughs> Andy B, back yeah, to you. So two things I was going to add to it. First of all, is he scores with his right foot, not his left foot. And how yeah. ironic after how many games where we keep getting reminded how tall he is, and actually we don't all, none of us think he's the best header of the ball. He actually scores while laying on the ground. I <laughs> had nothing to do it at all apart from the fact they probably gave him a little bit of extra leg length you know yeah well Richard I, I, I will say this this might be what you were referring to earlier Russell when you mentioned good build-up play because um, there, there was good build-up play I mean I think I think yeah. I may have got the sequence of players slightly wrong but Trossard got onto a long ball Edison looked like he was going to come out and then decided hmm. not to um so Trossard ended up with the ball kind of wide on the left, yeah. you know, had the patience to look up, played it infield to, I think, Lalana, who moved it on to, I think, McAllister. And the, and the pass that McAllister made to Byrne was a kind of very under, understated part of the move because it was, you know, it was only a sort of, you know, couple of yard pass, but it was absolutely it was nutmeg, perfectly timed. Was it enough? Right, yeah. Perfectly timed right into his path and, and opened up the opportunity. So, um yeah, well, yeah well, the, I mean, the build-up was very good, even if the finish was a bit scruffy. Just, I've, I've got the um, the BBC site up to have a look at the the goal scoring um, stats, and there's no assists credited, so that's pretty harsh. In fact, you could say it's ridiculously harsh, Peter, isn't it? That one. Indeed, yes, you could say that. <laughs> um, 
what I was going to say was um, Burn is another player who I think has been so good value for money. I think it was three and a half million we paid for him as a backup centre-back. I'm so pleased because he obviously had a couple of goals last season where they were offside by, I think, like a toe or something like that. And a couple, one of them was at least one of the assists as well, where he kind of was very closely offside. And he's been, he, whatever you might say about him, and I know that he's not the best player in the world, he, he gives everything every game, whether or not he's, he gets, you know, whether or not players are quicker than him, and there are going to be players. He plays left wing back, left back, centre back, whatever is needed. And he's been fantastic for us. And I, and I think that that sort of money, he has really good value. And I'm so pleased for him to score a goal like that on a night like that to win the game. It's, yeah. it's so yeah. great for someone like him who's played mainly lower league over his career and, you know, maybe isn't the first name on a team sheet because, and probably next season, if we get one or two more signings, we'll be reserved, maybe substitute, whatever. But it's so great for him to have that moment where he scored the winner against the champions. And I'm, yeah, it couldn't have happened to a better member of the squad, in my opinion. Here, here. And I think, you know, fair play to the players for being conducive and being able to absorb and learn from what Graham's trying to project to them to play when they're playing out of position and doing other things and being adaptable and fair play to Graham himself for having the courage to do that and um, to, and maybe a necessity sometimes but um, to have the ability to to get that out of them um, yeah back to you Peter I was going to say the celebration as well showed that they were already happy for him as well that mm. you know everyone kind of like basically bundled on top of him and it, you know you don't get that if you're a kind of player who's not very popular with the other players as well so yeah, he obviously is quite popular in the dressing room as well because of that, you know, from the celebrations. What a way to make, to score your first goal, apparently for like three years since Wigan against Fleetwood, apparently, was the last time. <laughs> All the glamour. Well, speaking of goal celebrations, there was um, one seemed to upset the City um, bench, didn't it? Um, apparently, according to what Graham Potter said afterwards, it was his first goal, oh, sorry, our first goal that he was celebrating that appeared to have rankled with the City bench. Um, which then, at the end, what's looked like at the end of the game, had led to a, a bit of a to-do where um, there was a lot of scuffling about, shouting going on um, between a number of the uh, the city lot and Graham, who seemed to be trying to just calm it down, but he obviously upset them. Um, I don't know, didn't see it. I don't know if there was any TV coverage um, shown anywhere for that one. But um, Andy B, did you catch any glimpses well, of what was going on? Well, they showed it on... Um... The celebration later on, on um, I've seen on social media from Sky. Oh right, and, okay. And he basically he does run. He runs towards um, uh, the the Man City um, bench, um, and he's pumping his fist like you know like that. And he gets as far as the fourth official. And he turns around and goes back. And at the end, I think what he's trying to do is he's gone over there to apologise, but at that point they're not they're not accepting it, and mm. Pep sort of dismisses it a bit and then one or two others who I don't even know who they are probably the kit man and person who carries the drinks came down and they had a go at him as well and I think in the end he just like you know just had to like walk away and then I think Pep's questioned about it later and just says oh you know I'll talk to I'll talk to him about it later but there's nothing it's not like he ran all the way down the pitch did a like a slide you know with his you know like a kind of um <laughs> do a Mourinho thing or or when well, I like, went right in their faces or anything, you know. Or, or, or what about when that? Steve I, Evans ran down the touchline yeah, with his like, trousers think, falling down? I, think, when I just the... think, exactly, I just think for, for one minute or one second, he was a fan and not a coach. You know, just for a yeah. second there. He's just caught yeah, up in um, the moment like the rest of us, basically. And he's not he's not a brash or contentious or antagonistic manager, is he? It's very no. it's pretty uncharacteristic for yeah, him to, so I, I to do that. Yeah, so I think probably afterwards, 
he regretted it, but he, he didn't do much yeah. wrong from what I saw. It's a, bit, it's a bit rich for City to complain as well. I mean, they, they hang around milking it for about an hour after a previous loss home game of the season at the Amex, didn't they? Well, yeah, like, okay, when they, they got... have just won a title, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody was out there, weren't they? The, the, the nutritionists, you know, the medic staff, you know, we've had to tolerate all of that. All they <laughs> have to do is like, tolerate us being excited for a couple of minutes. You know, I, I just... I think if they'd yeah. beaten us, if they'd beaten us two-one, in the end, they would they would all come down, shook hands, it would have been fine. But they hadn't had that; they just got beat three-two, mm. and they were probably still a bit sore about the sending off. And I think I think actually he probably got some of that backlash as much as anything. Yeah, well, I guess they're they're all winners. They don't like losing, even even when there's nothing technically riding on the match. I suppose fair enough, uh, yeah. Richard. Yeah, I think I think I don't know whether any of you saw it, but there was there was a thing on. Uh, I think it's on the club website actually, where Potter did a he did an interview in a wine bar or a coffee shop somewhere, season review thing, <clears throat> and he was asked about this that he's you know how are you, how are you how are you so calm when you know the battle's raging on the pitch and you you look completely calm and he said I may look calm I'm not necessarily calm underneath all that but he but he also made quite an interesting point that he said it's part of my role and, I, and I'm quite a calm person anyway, but I have to make a conscious effort and I do make a conscious effort in those situations to use my own body language, my own facial expression, what my own persona to kind of project something positive and useful and helpful to the players on the pitch, irrespective of what the, what the state of play is or whether we're winning or losing. And I think, which I think is quite interesting. I've heard others say that similar things before that, you know, if you, you your team's 2-0 down, right, you stand on the halfway line and project a kind of proud, we're not beaten yet kind of presence. And I think Potter is, you know, we know he's got a background in emotional intelligence and that kind of thing, but I think he sets himself pretty high standards on that front and tries to conduct himself in a certain way on the touchline. And I agree with Andy's point. I don't think he did anything untoward towards, really untoward about towards the city management team that warranted an apology. I just think he probably himself felt that he fell slightly short of the standards that he normally sets himself. But I don't think yeah. he needed to apologise for that in the circumstances. Yeah, yeah fair I mean, enough. Just, just to come on from that, um, uh, yeah, as as Richard says, he's got his Masters in Emotional Intelligence. And um, many people like to contrast many things about um, Hughton and Potter, but I, I think on this point they are very similar. They're both they've both been really really calm um, and not tended to overreact um, at that things. And I think I think that exudes itself um, towards the players. Um, and just while we're on this emotional intelligence, a, a month or two ago on uh, Russell, I think you may well have recommended it to us. There was um, a, a BBC program in which he was um interviewed and asked at, at the longest about his masters in emotional intelligence it, and he, he was really really forthcoming and revealing and that's one of the most insightful interviews that i've heard from potter actually you're on me russell Classic. Yeah, I was making fun of someone else earlier and he was genuinely trying to get off mute. I wasn't. I was completely oblivious. Yes, um, there's some banging noises going on from my neighbours here of a, um, a a door style, not anything to do with anything rude. Um, but yeah, no, I was just going to say it, it was an interesting interview and I'm glad you caught it. It's, um, it's good. Yeah. Um, 
a couple of other bits, just just stats. We, we talked about um, 63% possession, a couple of other great stats, 19 shots to City's eight, six shots on target to their four, and five corners to three. So the, the other mundane, normal stats all in our favour as well. Um, any other thoughts from the game quickly on that subject? Um, man of the match, it's kind of debatable, isn't it, I think? Um, should we go to Andy Kay? Yeah, I've, I've got lots of other things to say, actually. About Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Um, Moda was my man of the match, closely followed by Trossard. Um, but there was one passage of play where we took a short free kick in the second half. And Lalana was, um, did an outrageous bit of skill to get to the touchline. One of many outrageous bits of skills. He's so difficult to read. He's a very exciting player. Um, I do wonder about this kind of false nine thing in terms of ne- next season. Um, but you know, next season's going to hang on, really. Um, we're expecting Basima to go and how we replace him. Um, and it may well be by just packing the middle of the field that we do, do it. Um, I mean, in terms of Moda, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in what he considers to be his best position, mm. which he says is a six or an eight. Yeah, so the Basuma factor of this does go, as seems likely, uh, you and we could read into the end of game celebrations, but this, you know, he's doing the dance and everything. I think he's milking the crowd, enjoying it anyway. So I don't think that particularly means anything, but he is likely to go. And if he does, Morda could be the guy to uh, to step in. We're talking about Casado and, and other people, but yeah, maybe he could be the man primarily. Um, Andy B. Yeah, a couple of things for me. So, so one, um, Pete sent a message before um, on the WhatsApp about Basuma and that, you know, we could probably we've probably got players in the squad who can do what he does, um, it, you know, most of it at least. And, um, you know, and, and therefore maybe we could spend the money elsewhere. And I, I, I on, on the whole, I agree with that. The, the only thing I think that he's got that I, I've not seen anybody yet in our midfield be able to do is, is those moments when the opposition have got the ball, they're going towards the two centre-halves, you know, that they're going to they're gonna break the play up because the centre-halves are going to have to come at them. And all of a sudden, Basuma's come from three yards behind and made a tackle, and we're not in trouble anymore. So that's the only. So I think that probably if we can't get a centre midfield player that can do that, then I think Potter, yeah, will probably have to find a a different way of of creating that bit of shield in front of the centre halves. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I wanted to ask was um, whether you guys who were there, whether and the others, I guess as well, you know, who do you think we will be saying goodbye to this summer? other than maybe Basuma. So, I, I mean, in terms of what, what you're saying, I agree. I think we may find ourselves having having to play two slightly more defensive midfielders and to make up for the loss of Basuma. I don't think we'll maybe be able to play Lana there, for example, or Grosh, because of the fact, initially anyway, to, to cover for, for Basuma. But it is worth remembering, for Basuma's case, he wasn't always the player he is now. He before lockdown, he was a you know he was a part of the squad and quite a decent part, but he wasn't anywhere near the best player we had. Now, from what I've seen of Moda on TV, obviously I obviously wasn't there live. He looks like a player who could follow in his footsteps there, and he'll only do that by playing in his right position. And I'm really looking forward to, as I said earlier, the, the chance to see him playing regularly in central midfield. That's going to be a a real kind of a really big thing. But yeah, initially he may well need him and someone else maybe in alongside him. Um, and then from there, we can with Lamptey and March or a new signing at wing back. We've got more attacking options there. There's more pace there. So, and obviously, if we 
get the striker that we all want, we can we don't need to create maybe so many chances anyway because we'll have a we'll hopefully take more of our chances anyway. I mean, I think I think the other thing with Basuma is, I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't. I know he plays defensively most of the time, but he doesn't bring a lot of goals. So if you could get someone else in that midfield who who you know maybe can't do some of the things he could do, but contributes more goals and and Moda certainly looks like he's you know he's got potential for that. Maybe you can sort of you know you can replace him and and improve in different ways. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm not in any way dismissing what Pesuma does. He's been fantastic for us this season. He's my player of the year by distance. I'm just saying that if I think possibly we have bigger issues than central midfield in the front three, that if we can solve them, even weakening the midfield, I think we can be a better team overall. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, I I agree with uh, two things that Peter's just said. Firstly, I I just can't credit why people are... uh, um, presenting other players as players of the season. I mean, to me, it's just a no-brainer that Basim was our player of the season. However well Veltman, for instance, has played because it, he's the most named of, of the others. Um, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I differ a bit on that? If, yeah. I, if, if, I was, if I was voting on it now, I would make Dunk player of the season. Not by much, and I would, I'd have Basim as a close second, but I think Without him as a sort of defensive rock and organizer of the rest of the defense, because we, you know, we're not a free, we haven't been a free scoring team, but we haven't conceded that many. You know, I think there's only about there aren't many teams. You look through the division, there aren't that many teams who've conceded fewer goals. Um, so he would he would get my vote this season, not by much, but I, I mean, I can speak against that if needs be, but I don't really want to. Um, <laughs> And I'll, I'll come back to the other point um, that I want to agree with Peter is I think in a sense we do need to replace Basuma with um, two more defensively minded midfielders, especially if they're intelligent in their movement. And I, I think that's one of the ones, one of the things that Potter will try and instill it, it in our players. But um, I think it's in terms of Andy B's question, I don't really like speculating because it's all it is. It's speculation about who we lose. The one thing that I do want to say is I will be gutted if we don't re-sign Welbeck. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I agree with that one. Um, yeah, I'll be can, I, can I just ask, does anybody think Yankabash will stay? Or more to the point, do you think Potter would want Yankabash to stay? Yeah, 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 and Patch will stay because nobody wants to pay his wages. And it seems odd that Potter would play him if he wasn't thinking about keeping him as well. I mean, surely you'd have been better off. I know, I know. Andy said before, for example, that there's there's reasons why Karpovnik wouldn't you wouldn't play him. But surely you give him a go over Jahan Batch if you decided that Jahan Batch wasn't going to be up to it and you were going to try and get rid of him for summer. So there must be some. I mean, I still don't really see what he offers personally. Um, there's a lot of flattering to see if he has the odd cameo for 15 minutes where he puts a couple of good crosses in and people say, he's, hmm. you know, oh, he could do something. And then he'll, he'll, he'll start a game and do absolutely nothing. And you think, well, he's not, to me, he's not got any attributes that really make a winger stand out. It's Kiedo, obviously, maybe different now, but first season he came in his pace was so he had so quick and that was one of the things that made him so dangerous Johanbach doesn't really have that he doesn't really have I wouldn't say that make great skill that he has a decent reasonable cross but nothing amazing and his shooting occasionally is brilliant but I mean quite often isn't so I mean I don't really see what it 
what it is that he brings to the team that mm. others can't do. And I'd rather on... Pau and try him next season based yeah. on that assist against yeah. um, against uh, West Ham and a few other cameos he's had. And the fact that he's only just joined for six months, then I would keep Jahan Batch, who's been here three years and done really nothing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I think... It feels like the time's coming to the end for him. It might mean it's it's a loan, and you know we're going to have to get him off the wages that way. If on, on what you're saying about you know transfers and not being able to sell him for a fee we'd want to, so maybe that'll be the way out of it. It does feel as if, I mean he's a good player, he's a good player, and obviously a good lad, and trains well. But he's one of those players that just like Dale Stevens, uh, his stage beforehand, and other players we've replaced and strengthened in certain areas bit by bit, incrementally. And his his part in the squad, at least, although he's not been a regular in the in the team, um, it, that squad place it's that's one of the places up for grabs, I think. And I think as we look to strengthen bit by bit all across the pitch and all across the team, that's one of the places that um, we'll be looking to strengthen again on, I think. And that's the key to getting to that top ten that Tony would like uh, for all of us, um, Tony Bloom. But um, yeah, I mean. I'm happy with that. But Peter, sorry, yeah, go on, go on. No, so, so I agree with what you're saying about strength. I think we discussed it before. My my four targets, if we have the budget for, would be mm. another goalkeeper to really kind of, not necessarily challenge Sanchez, but to have better backup if he got an injury, um, a yeah. left wing back to compete with March, and also yeah. offer the chance to play March further forward if we wanted to as well. A, a, a wide attacker to really compete with Trossard, because I think as brilliant as he was on in midweek, he really needs some sort of competition to really push him and then another striker to score the goals, basically. And that would be my shopping list for the summer. I wouldn't buy another midfielder, um, even if we lose Basuma and Proper, which I think may well happen. I would I would focus on buying those four and try and fill. Because otherwise, there's no point bringing all these young players into the midfield if we're not going to use them. I mean, you know, ignoring the three we've got in the squad at the moment, what you do with Malumbi as well and other players like that. So I, th- I think we have enough cover there as well with the option of moving White further forward if he doesn't go and we can move Lallana or Grosh back as well. So I would be happy with the options we've got in the field, even if we lost both Proper and Basuma, whereas I think we do need to strengthen elsewhere to really push the players in those positions. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Pete completely about the four players and, and the point about Trossard is he's a kind of one in five, one in ten games. He'll really shine and he... You know, he's got the talent to do more and you're quite right that he needs to be pushed in order to do that more. Hmm. Yeah, go along with that. Well, that pretty much rounds up the um, the review. Just very quickly, a couple of bits of football news. Uh, we found out that Big Sam, Le Grand Samuel, uh, Hippo, whatever you want to call him, has Le decided to leave. Samage. <laughs> the Grand what? Le Grand Samage. Samage, yeah, Le Grand Samage has left or is leaving the Hawthorns at the end of the season. He doesn't fancy it. Uh, the Premier League um, promotion battle for next season. Um, he he thinks that he's going to want um, to to consider his options a year down the line, and he wouldn't feel that if he got them promoted, he'd want necessarily to carry on with another Premier League campaign or something like that, which is, seems pretty presumptive that he's going to get in at all. I don't think they're going to find it as easy as all that, particularly if a couple of their better players aren't involved um, next season. But yeah, he, he's off anyway. And so too possibly a certain Tottenham striker. Will Kane be unable to continue? That's, uh, that's not the Tottenham Stadium. Who knows? Um, Peter, I think, um, is shaking his head, or is he? No, he's just got his hand, his head in his hands after that part. Joke Sorry, else, to be honest. And obviously, the other news is our uh, friends down the road have uh, decided to change manager as well. 
Yes, indeed. Yeah, the owl himself has has announced he is going to retire from senior management. Roy Hodgson. Yeah, Andy Kay, you've got your hand up. You yeah, I mean, just just excited for that. I just wanted to raise about um, the last round of fixtures is um, credit to Bamford for staying on his feet, um, but also credit <laughs> for Zaha for doing what he did right at the end of the match, which was to fall over in the penalty area and then Arsenal just went up right up the other end <laughs> and it means that we've got the possibility of finishing above them this season exactly yeah exactly and do you know what I think we might be able to do that I'm going to come to you Richard to ask your opinion on that what, what you were going to say in a minute but yeah it, um, essentially the, the situation now is if we win at Arsenal and if Palace lose they happen to be playing away at Liverpool who need the win for the top four, then we would finish above them on goal difference by default. Would be rather nice, wouldn't it, Richard? Yeah, it would be lovely. And I'm and I, i not going to say I expect it to happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if it did. And I'd be delighted if it did. Um, hmm. I think, I, I know we're not allowed to say nice things about anything to do with Palace on this platform, but I do, you know, I think, you know, we should give a nod to Roy Hodgson, who's been a, you know, a very dignified figure throughout his football career. Um, so, you know, good luck to him. While you were mentioning the last round of fixtures, and I, I know we haven't mentioned VAR very much on this call, um, uh, but we, <laughs> we can now if you want to. But um, Oh, here he goes. We thought we got away with it. <laughs> no, there was nothing to do with us. It was um, Cavani's goal against Fulham, which was an absolutely mm. fantastic goal, but <laughs> clearly shouldn't have stood. And yeah. I, it, it still baffles me how, you know, you could see in one slow motion replay on TV that, that he was offside so it baffles me that people perusing over VAR from several angles couldn't reach the same conclusion you know but, what I'm going to say Richard it, it's it's Man United VAR it's, it's different it's very I thought, different I, I thought you might say that it's a different, <laughs> it's a different set of rules right but I mean should there great, be a different set goal, of rules if, shouldn't have been if allowed. The, well if the goal's good enough do you think you should override the rules well Maybe that I, should I be. Think, <laughs> yeah no as a general principle I don't but I think I, I know what you mean in a in a in a fairly meaningless end of season game where there's not a lot riding on it I kind of yeah I could see the temptation to say yeah you can't chalk that off it was too good um but shouldn't have stood yeah yeah good point and Peter um back to slightly back to Palace isn't it so annoying that we basically hammered them this season and mm. We, you know, twice we hammered them. And even if we managed to hold on to, to a, a point which we so much more than deserved at the Amex, we'd be level with them now and ahead of them on goal difference. Yeah. Even, if we, even if we come away, we'd have come away from that game so frustrated that we'd not won it, given what happened. But even if we had done that and Ben Teke hadn't managed to hit the one good shot he'd hit all season, we would have still be, we'd be level with them and ahead on goal difference. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, everything else. I think I think we can consider ourselves very unfortunate that Benteke chose that moment yeah. to, to produce that finish. I think, you know, no disrespect yeah. to him, but I think if he yeah. tried it another hundred times, it wouldn't have he wouldn't have got in. But well, there we he are. Has, he has history. tried it another hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just his best fin finish of his feet this season, but since he's been at Palace. Yeah. I mm. mean, he's, he's scored a, a lot of very good headed goals that he did mm. score five, ten years ago um, of late. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, Palace next season could be an enticing prospect. 
Yes, they yeah. could be stable. I mean, a lot of younger players are looking really good under a new manager, or they could be dreadful. Yeah. I mean, last time they changed manager before before Hodgson, they lost their first seven games and sacked him within five, I think, didn't they, or something? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, I, I mean, for repeat there. First thing is, I, I agree with you, Richard. Hats off to Roy Hodgson for his career. He's done very. I mean, yeah, England and Liverpool wasn't great, but he's done well across several um, several countries. He speaks five languages. He does carry himself well. He's very diplomatic, at least to the cameras. And you know, he's he's been a good manager all all in all, and he has done well with Palace in terms of getting them fairly comfortable year to year, which seemed to be defying gravity, so to speak. Um, but um, fair play to him for it, and we wish him well in his retirement. Um, so that's true. The other thing is with this this Palace thing, catching them up. So many times we've been close to catching them up and feeling like it was about to happen, and then they've we've screwed up an easy an easier opportunity to to get ahead of them, and then they've got a lucky result or something like that. It's and yet despite all that, we still could do it now. If we were to finish the season with wins over City and Arsenal and finish above Palace due to their last game result. Um, that would be a very satisfying end to a, what has been quite frustrating season, I think. Andy B, shall I go back to you for the last word? Is it Palace related by any chance? Palace, you live I, in mean, I think it's Palace related, me being from uh, <laughs> living in Croydon. A um, couple of the guys that I know, they, they really want Lampard because they want him to play. They think he'll play some of the younger players. So that's who they want. And, um, and just to say as well that um, Eze's picked up a really bad injury in training, apparently. He's yeah, quite a few months, I reckon. And the other old chestnut, they've got, you know, they've still got three players on a hundred grand a week and they've got 10 players out of contract. So, I mean, in some ways that's good for a new manager because they could bring in who they want. But um, at the same time, that's a lot of, a lot of churn. It's a lot of new personnel given manager as well. It kind of could work out well. It didn't work out well last time they they appointed a Frank, did it? But, um, well, never mind. (laughs) Maybe we'll see Roy back. I think they literally could finish top half to bottom anywhere between those two next season, given that they're probably the most unpredictable team to to, hmm. to you know to predict where they're going to be in the league because they've got so many players out of contract and a new manager. It, it makes it very very difficult to predict where they'll finish. Yeah, hopefully. And if he does get the job, obviously the, the Brighton fans will all be calling him Fat Frank. I've never quite got my head around that to be honest. It seems a bit strange. A load of Fat middle-aged blokes calling a slim athlete, athlete at the height of his game fat during his uh, playing days seemed rather bizarre to me. Um, I don't think he's put much weight on since either. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure they'll they'll fill the boots on that one anyway. Um, guys, it's been a pleasure. It's certainly been a pleasure talking about this game, hasn't it? Albion three, City two. Great way to finish the home season. Let's hope we can finish the overall season well with the Arsenal game. We'll have a preview episode coming up. And later in the week. But from us, thank you to the two Andys and to Richard. Thank you all. Hope you've enjoyed yourselves. Thoroughly. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Marvellous. And Peter will sign out in the usual way. Stand or fall. Up the Albion. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.